You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. There's a plant there, it's called sorrel, and it's one of the favorite among the kids whenever we do like farm tour. So they taste it. You want to taste that? (laughs) So get a small piece of it and let me know how it tastes like. Whoa. Right? Mm. It gives you that wow. What is that? It's sorrel. Mm. It has this citrusy um It's citrus, yeah. Yeah. Right? So cool. So you can they use it in soups, salads, mm. um yeah, so this is that one is of so their favorite. Salad. Oh my god. Yeah. So one of the things that's lacking in our um I'm on a tour of the Black Creek um, Community uh, Farm in one of Toronto, Canada's most densely populated areas. This is the new generation. Yeah. That's so cool. Can I have another piece of sorrel? Oh yeah, go ahead. It's so good. <laughs> Take more. Uh, yes. I came the here to meet Mildred Exawai. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to Black Creek Community Farm. It's a good day. Um, to do a tour today. And Christina Huang. The corn acts as a pole for the beans to climb up on. The beans. They both work on the farm. Yeah. So it's an organic farm and we produce like various different kinds of vegetables. Um, so since it's organic, we don't put any chemicals into it. So it's a lot of uh, labor of love. We use. Um, and it is beautiful uh, here. There's um, an apiary, a chicken coop, two greenhouses, and a large field that they use for rotating crops. But the whole thing is hidden. I missed the entrance twice when I came out here for the tour. Mildred says that happens a lot. They're kind of scared, like, where are you taking me, lady? And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, can I, are you sure there's a house there? It's like, yes, I work there. <laughs> and then they go and say, like, oh, wow, it feels so good in here. What are you growing in here? You know, and, and, and they find out about, yeah, they, they feel, especially in the middle of summer when it's too hot. And they see the trees, they see the shades, and it's like, oh, wow. It's like, oh, can I come back here? Yeah, please. It's tucked away in the area known commonly as Jane and Finch, in the northwest end of Toronto. And it's boxed in by three very busy roads that are dotted with high-rise buildings and industry. But there's a wall of trees that run the parameter of the farm, separating it from the commotion and blocking out the noise of the city. I first heard about the farm through Christina's Instagram account. We went to the same high school, so I had been following her. I saw all these posts about the farm, and it made me curious. So that's where I come in. I've been a programs coordinator at the farm since June, and my job is to manage and organize some of the programs that happen here. So Christina, why is there a farm in the middle of the city? The farm is here to address food insecurity, which is the lack of access or availability to nutritious food. There are a lot of approaches to addressing this issue, like food banks. The interesting part about the farm is that it's involving community members in the process to help solve the problem. It's a by-community, for-community organization. But it didn't always look like this. It's taken a bit of a fight to get here. Today... We're getting into this by-community, for-community organization thing to explore how a farm in the city is changing the way we think about charity and nonprofits. Allow me to show you something. I'm Stephanie Phillips, and this is Paradigm. Christina's going to take the story from here. 
it, it was never easy to get to where we were. A lot of people sacrificed time from their family, um, mental health. Um, so the people that have come to the table to fight for the farm also had great losses. Um, but knowing that this was a community asset and knowing that we had to fight for it, people still came. This is Butterfly Gopal. She's on the steering committee at the farm and has dedicated a lot of her life to fighting against poverty. I'm a, a resident in uh, the Jane and Finch community. Um, I, I'm a mother to two great uh, sons and a grandmother. Um, and I've been living in the neighborhood my entire life and, and I've left a few times, but I've always come back. I've always come back home. Butterfly spent most of her childhood in the area living with her parents, but she went out on her own when she was 14. She lived in other parts of the city, but always felt a connection to Jane and Finch. She moved back to the neighborhood after the birth of her first son and hasn't left since. I used to be a gymnast as a, as a little girl. My dad gave me that name as, as, as a nickname because um, I, I like to float and not be on the ground too much but also what it means in terms of uh, change and transformation. Back home, uh, for me, uh, butterflies symbolize uh, the fight for freedom. Um, so I really resonate with the name. The Jane and Finch neighborhood has a bit of a bad reputation. If you Google Jane and Finch, the first things that come up are, how bad is Jane and Finch? What is Jane and Finch known for? What is the most dangerous neighborhood in Toronto? People typically perceive it as being one of the most, if not the most, dangerous neighborhood riddled with crime and violence. We're near Jane and Finch, where police are investigating three separate shootings from last night. Which Open they fire believe... outside this strip plaza here on Jane Street, south of Finch. Several bullets. It was struck here near Stone Court in the Jane and Finch area when the young boy was shot at while he was shopping with his mother on Saturday afternoon. But with the neighborhood having a large concentration of people who are visible minorities, namely Black, Indigenous, and people of color, there is an unwarranted amount of policing and media coverage that perpetuates and reinforces this image. We should look at how crime or violence often comes from a place of neglect. The inception of this neighborhood really took form in the 60s and was defined by two waves of migration taking place at the same time. That of low-income residents in need of government housing and newcomers. The many high-rise buildings we see in this neighborhood today were favorable by city planners as the best way to house a lot of people on the least amount of land. But what ended up happening was a migration of poverty to this concentrated area. In the span of 10 years, the area saw its population go from 1,300 to 33,000, with about one in four of those people living in public housing. The government put up housing, but didn't build enough supports for the community to go with it. There wasn't a focus on transit, childcare, or schools. There hasn't been any meaningful investment in, in housing, education. Like, you know, our schools are falling apart. So I think. I think it's a combination of, of, of different lack of will to, to invest in our neighborhood and intentional, right? Like we are the melting pot of the world in so many ways, the Jane and Finch community. And then putting money in, 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 in policing, like 
every level of government um, funds the police, but you know, the buck stops with housing, right? Like, where are those dollars being put into education, health, housing, good jobs? And with the neglect this neighborhood has been facing, it's important for a community space to exist. That's why programs like the farm are so important to Butterfly. These are folks that have been excluded from mainstream, that have this, this brilliance and talent. With these physical spaces that are developing, we're developing it because why not, right? It exists at other parts, right? So, and I think that's what brings us to the table is, is the why not? Why can't we, right? The land the farm sits on was previously a dairy farm. But in 2012, the conservation authority responsible for it leased it out to a group of urban agriculture organizations who wanted to create a farm in the city. Around the same time, a lot of research came out highlighting a disparity in access to food in Toronto. Some neighborhoods, including Jane and Finch, were classified as food deserts. These are places where residents have limited access to healthy and fresh food. The stores that sell fresh food are few and far between, and even when they do exist, the prices aren't affordable for the people shopping there. Meanwhile, in other, more affluent areas, people had an abundance of healthy, fresh food options. Even though these groups are living in the same city, they have completely different experiences with food. Butterfly set out with a group of other community members to consult the community and find out what these disparities look like for them. We heard, um, you know, being followed um, in grocery stores, undercovers, you know, kids stealing a chocolate bar at the dollar store and like, you know, six cops from 31 division come in and they don't have their parent there yet. We heard about a mom who did grocery shopping. She had a full load of groceries and, you know, easy $200, $300. And an undercover came up to her and opened up her bag. And there was an open box of like granola bars or something. And the mom said, no, that was from earlier today. Like, you know, when I went with my kids to pick them up, like this was from earlier and there was a little, her son was there and he needed to use the washroom and he was doing the pee-pee dance. And the security made the child pee right there in front of the grocery cart. People are, are on fixed income, right? So the relationship with food, I'm sure, is pretty nasty. You know, knowing the things that you need and you can't afford it and knowing the things that you would like to have or want and you can't have that either. Um, And then for the quality to be garbage. The discrimination and racism was not just apparent in policing. It was also seen in the quality of food. Even the grocery stores look horrible, right? Like the quality of food, it's not appealing. Like I was just asking my partner the other night, like, I've been wanting this green. And he's like, every time I go, it looks like trash. And most shockingly, a study found that food in Jane and Finch was 7% more expensive than other neighborhoods in Toronto. Right. So it's, it's just an attack on top of an attack. And we know 
what food means in terms of mental health, not just about not getting it or having it, but what food does in terms of nourishment for for oneself, right? So your intake as well in terms of mental health and your physical wellness, your health. And through those consultations, that's where, you know, residents really started to make those connections of food to health, food and migration, food and policing. We really started to name um, what food insecurity um, looks like in this neighborhood. And then at the same time, um, we have Black Creek Community Farm that was being housed by um, a, a parent company. And, and that also created uh, conversations around um around outside organizations coming in, the harm that that causes. The organizations running the farm were removed from the community. They didn't have a full understanding of members' needs and what was at stake for the people involved. But they were the ones making all the decisions. Even when residents did voice their concerns, they didn't feel like they were being heard or understood. Over the years, they had witnessed organizations coming in with money and a mission, but it didn't always translate into tangible resources for the community. They needed community-based solutions, programming that was designed by community members for community members, and resident control over the farm was a way to accomplish that. So it took a long time. Um, it was it, it was it was very difficult, like um, to fight these fights. Um, um, we heard of behaviors that we couldn't stand by. It, it was never easy. Paradigm will be right back after this quick break. The residents fought long and hard to put their own people in decision-making positions. And that started their path towards independence for the farm. If you look at a map of the farm from 2012, when it was first created, the farm was broken up into sections based on the different organizations that funded it. But today, the farm is largely broken up into sections based on community needs. Each section is tailored to a different group within the community. There's a section for seniors, a section for parents, an area for kids, and a bunch of others. To understand how they work, I need to take you through them. Let's start with the senior section. Um, my name is Celia Smith. I am a community leader in Jane Finch. Celia has a bold personality. She's the kind of woman who will tell you what she's thinking when she's thinking it. And she's kind of the beating heart of the seniors program. In 1991, I think I moved in the neighborhood. Wasn't excited. However, I found out why I came, why I was sent in here. <laughs> Celia originally moved into the community because of the affordable housing options. And like she said, she wasn't so excited at first. Yeah, so when I, when I, came, I said, no, why did I get that apartment there? Because I'm a very active person in church and I just resigned my position and said, I, I, I need to go out in the community. 
And that was how I started out in the community, working with the kids. So many of them are in universities now. So many of them, they come and they support, they volunteer. And, and, I, and I felt, feel like I've done something. Celia lives in a community housing complex in the area. The closest grocery store is about a 20-minute walk along a high-traffic street. She could take a quieter street, but this becomes challenging for half of the year when there's snow on the ground. She doesn't own a car, so she uses a personal folding shopping cart. Um, grocery shopping is... Um, I, I, I find it's, it's pretty easy sometimes, but sometimes it's very difficult because then... Um, you have to go, you have to have your own cart. One, you have to go to the mall. And um, many times because the buses run so bad and Jane buses run so bad, you have to you stand at the bus stop for so long to get a bus. Oh, for instance, I went there, um, was it Saturday? And I came out and I was going to take the bus and I actually walked home. And when I got to the, the community center, that was when the first bus passed me. Yeah, it's, but it's harder in the winter. In the winter, it's harder. Yeah. Everything is harder in the winter. But in this area, there are a few added barriers. Remember how we explained that the area was designed with a bunch of high rises? When the buildings were put up, they were all far from the main roads. The area just wasn't walkable. It was designed for cars. But for many people in the area, walking and public transportation are the only options. And zoning laws restricted retailers to main intersections. This means grocery stores can't open in or near the high rises, leaving residents with limited options for buying food. Add to that limited mobility that comes with an older age, and you have some serious obstacles for seniors like Celia. That's why whenever she does make the trek to the store, she tends to stock up. So I definitely um, buy when they're mostly purchase stuff when there are their advertising sales. I buy um, extra large hot chocolate. I'll buy the one point something in kilo. And then it serves a long time. So I just, the main thing I purchase most weekly is fruits because I love fruits. Think about it. If you're going to the store a couple times a month, it is easier to stock up on shelf food than to buy produce that will expire. And with a limited budget, inexpensive and long-lasting foods are the easier option. But that doesn't always make for a well-balanced diet. As we know, food that's found on the shelf tends to be more processed and has more sugar than fresh food. And that shows in the neighborhood's diabetes rate, which is at 16%, one of the highest diabetes rates in the region. The Seniors Garden was actually established as a result of these high diabetes rates. A series of community consultations found seniors in the area were experiencing social isolation and disparities in health. So they wanted to develop a program that would encourage seniors to be mentally and physically active while also providing access to healthy and fresh foods. I have to say the seniors really appreciate the program. 
and they are excited to come. Some are here way before time, um, just walking around and engaging themselves in the, at the farm. So we plant different vegetables, um, greens like kale, Swiss chard, um, callaloo, um, various herbs, and um, we do um, squashes. Many different things we try to really pack into that, uh, that plot, and we give them everything that we plant. So while we are harvesting as a time to harvest, every week when they come, they get a bag to take home. When Celia first started working on the farm, she learned how to freeze, can, and dehydrate the fresh food she was growing. And it's changed the way she shops and eats. It also helped cut down on the number of trips she has to take to the store. So they taught me how I could cut up the kale and all those greeny, leafy greens and freeze them in the freezer. So I'm always ready to go if I have my grandkids calling and said, we're coming over. I just have something to throw right away in the oven or I just um, go to some of what I have. And I'm not a, I'm not a shelf person. I'm more of a freezer person. I love greens um, and I freeze them. Yeah. So in the winter, I don't have to go to the store on a regular basis because I have a lot of what I would like to eat in my freezer. I became a garden person. Every year, I must grow. Right next to the senior section is the mom section. Remember Mildred from the tour? She is the powerhouse behind the section. So my name is Mildred Agsawai, and I am an active resident, volunteer, and organizer in the Jane and Finch community for the past 10 years. Mildred comes from a family of farmers. She was born in the Philippines and immigrated to Canada in the 2000s. She, like many other immigrants, moved to the neighborhood because of its affordability. Coming to Jane and Finch, like um, I just, I just wasn't familiar with um, any of the um, neighborhoods in GTA. Uh, little did I know that it was uh, very much stigmatized, and my relatives uh, were actually asking if it's. Is it like dangerous in the area? It's so hard to like uh, at first to invite them to come over because they are um, all, they have reservations coming over to our place because they didn't feel like it's safe to to do so. But the turning point was when she gave birth to her son and sought out relationships with other moms in the neighborhood. Yeah, so actually meeting people, real people in the community is like uh, um, erases a lot of this like um, initial uh, fear or um, stereotyping of the place. Meeting real moms like myself, because at that time I needed to have my own community as well. Uh, giving birth to my son, have, being on my own, raising my um, own son without any family. Like you need, I, I felt so isolated. So I needed to to like reach out to other moms in the community to just, you know, to socialize. And also for my son to like socialize with other kids. So I started going to the parenting centers. And that's when I started to have like real conversations with them and know about their struggles and, uh, you know, what they want for their families. And I can like really relate to the similar things that what what they need is the same as my needs. And they just want to like have better lives for their kids and for their families. She noticed that it was difficult to find affordable activities for kids in the area. 
sports teams, music classes, art lessons were all costly. So she decided she wanted to create a program that was affordable. And the farm was a good place to do that. With gardening, it's a very low cost, uh, engaging um, opportunity for the parents and kids to come together, plant food, um, explore nature in an unstructured way and cook together. She worked really hard, built it up, and now she's seeing how residents are benefiting. So having the right and control to grow our own healthy and culturally appropriate food means a lot because food means culture, food means family. And, you know, you know that food that you grow up eating and you can continue to grow up eating here uh, once you have like migrated means that it's nourishing to your body and it has direct uh, impact on your health. She also sees the benefits of the mom's program extending to their families. Kids starting to started to know like um, that different insects are not necessarily harmful to us. Um, they worms are our friends, bees are our friends, and uh, they they it's fun to try different foods um, that that they themselves like grow and take care of. And near the mom section of the farm is the kids section. It has a spiral garden, which is a labyrinth made up of plants that awaken the five senses. There's a sour sorrel that Steph tasted, lamb's ear leaves that are soft, almost furry to the touch, and lavender that smells sweet and floral. I'm Abena Borhima. I am eight years old. Abena is one of the kids who has been participating in ongoing kids programming. Her mom is actually the executive director of the farm, so she's always hanging around. Her relationship with food and plants is very different from what a lot of city kids, including myself, experience. Sometimes we get kids on the farm who ask questions like, where does the pizza grow? Abena is the opposite of that. There was one day at the farm when she pointed out to me that the sap that comes out of milkweed is actually poisonous. And that was something I learned only recently. It was impressive to me that she knew so much of the environment around her. Do you have a favorite section of the farm? Yes, I I have two. I like the kids' garden and the raspberry bush. Can you explain the kids' garden? Say someone who's never been to the farm. Well, the kids' garden, and it's just like it has plants, but the kids grew it. And there's a spiral garden, and that... And it has sour leaves that's actually healthy for you, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite plant in general outside of the sour leaves? Um, well, I like, I have many favorites. List them. Well, one of them is I like the lavender flower plant. And then... I like the raspberry plant, the strawberry plant, and the blueberry. On any given day at the farm, you can see the three generations of residents, kids, parents, and grandparents. By building these programs with community leaders, residents are able to see themselves reflected and centered in the space around them. This is what leaders like Butterfly fought for. So where the farm is, it was not, um, it wasn't a smooth ride at all. And um, 
a lot of folks are still there. Um, but a lot of folks have also had to step back, uh, because it's been, it's been, it's been a tough one. We are seeing the farm grow in a direction that a lot of people said it wasn't going, right? Like um, a lot of heavy players, institutions, and sometimes our own community allies. Um, but yeah, you can see the growth. You can see the, the love that's in the space. You can feel it. But the fight is not just about the farm. When we talk about food insecurity, it's not in isolation from housing, from, from, from good jobs, from, right? Like this is all connected. The fight isn't just about food insecurity. The fight is, is broader. Um, and the fight is about the neglect this neighborhood has experienced for decades. Um, and it's the fight that the people who've lived here have built this community. We don't want to go. The systemic root cause of food insecurity runs deeper than food, as Butterfly said. It's connected to how the city underfunds social services in this neighborhood. It's anti-Black racism in school systems that translates to schools being overcrowded and having some of the highest expulsion rates in the city. It's the local job market being made up of temp agencies, which are employment services that are often low-paying, labor-intensive, and higher temporarily, causing job insecurity. It's also rent that has become more and more expensive, making it harder for any savings towards long-term housing. All of these different aspects that dictate what we understand as development have put people, especially Black and Indigenous people, along with newcomers, in a place where they are stagnated. It's hard for them to make any advance towards higher education, income, and quality of life, which includes food choices. When we did the interviews with the temp agencies, when we did the interviews for the Food Justice Report, like all of that is so relatable to me at different points of my life, right? Like working, putting old product nail polish into the new product bottle was my friggin' job. Right. Like midday throbbing headache. There was no health and safety, like, you know, not knowing how I'm going to get food or like, you know, my account getting wiped out right before Christmas. Right. Like I can relate to to people and their stories because it's it's part of mine. Someone who has studied systemic poverty, food insecurity or racism their whole life would never be able to match the lived experience that Butterfly has. I think. Resiliency is, you know, it's a term that I'm trying to move away from just because people are traumatized, right? They're traumatized while they're doing this. And resilience, okay, but I think it's more than resilience, right? Like there has to be another step up to resilience, another word above resilience to what I see because People will do everything for their family and for a community. We know how to care for our community. When there's a fire, we know where to go, what to bring, who to talk to, how to remove barriers to get through quicker, right? Like, and I think also that kind of blind hope, right? Like, 
it can't get any worse, <laughs> maybe. Um, and, and together we're going to get through this. Part of Butterfly's work and the farm's work is to make solution building and community consultation accessible so that people affected most by an issue are given the tools to address it on their own terms. It allows for different approaches to community issues to take place, such as the seniors and moms programming. The farm works as a platform to speak on the inequalities that exist in our society. It shows what benefits a small farm, a smaller organization like the Black Creek Community Farm can do. And that could be a model for other communities to follow. Like many communities, Jane and Finch doesn't need to be saved. It needs to be given agency. For Butterfly and so many others, this community is thriving and vibrant and home. And they will do whatever it takes to make home a little brighter. Wouldn't we all? I knew, I know the shortcuts here. I know how to use the creeks. Um, um, and, and being a part of the change, right? Slowly there's been changes in the neighborhood and, and to bear witness to, you know, the changes at Jane and Finch Mall. Or, um, so it, it's home in that way. And, and I think the sounds and the people, like, you know, you can be in this neighborhood and, and hear soca and smell food from the continent and hear different languages all in one physical space, right? So all of that is, is, is home and, and yeah, yeah, it's home. Paradigm is presented by the Frequency Podcast Network. It's created by Annalisa Nielsen and me, Stephanie Phillips. This episode was produced in partnership with the Black Cree Community Farm. It was written by Christina Huang and me. Sound design by Ryan Clark. To support the farm, you can have a direct impact by ordering meals from their Take Home fundraiser that's taking place Friday, December 4th. In partnership with local cooks, chefs, and caterers, the farm is preparing delicious multi-course meals. For more details, visit blackcreekfarm.ca slash takehome dash dinner. You can also make a donation and order meals for Jane and Finch community residents. The deadline to place your order is Wednesday, November 30th. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying these stories, please let us know. You can write to us on Twitter at Frequency Pods, or you can rate the show and write a review in any podcast player that will allow it.